Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. It's my joy today to introduce to you my oldest son, Jesse Stewart, who is joining me in this ministry. Amy, you guys can grab a seat. What's up, Ignite family? Man, so great to be with you guys. Let's give it up for the band for just allowing us to sing and worship our God. If you have your Bibles, you can go and open those up to 1 John chapter 5. That's where we're going to be tonight, 1 John 5. As we continue in our series, Fully Known, Fully Loved. And for those who don't know me, my name is Jesse. I have the amazing privilege of being the college pastor here. And I'm uh, so thankful that you joined us tonight as we continue in this series. So if you haven't been with us, here's a quick just recap and premise of what this series is about. What we've talked about all throughout this series is how for us as Christians, one of the biggest hindrances in our pursuit of Jesus is believing the lies of the enemy. Believing these lies about who God is, about who we are, and about what is the good life. Just as Satan came in the Garden of Eden and got Adam and Eve to believe and question who God was. And so what we want to do is, as those who want to better pursue God, to live out this relationship with him, where we are fully known and fully loved, we need to expose these lies with God's word. We need to expose the truth so that, excuse me, we need to expose the lies so we can walk in the truth and live our lives the way that God's intended us to live. And so all throughout this series, if you're with us, that's what we've been doing is walking through these different passages in 1 John and seeing what is the lie that we believe and then how does this passage help us to walk in truth instead. And so today's not gonna be any different. We're gonna spend our time in 1 John chapter five, looking at the first four verses together and seeing what God's word can teach us. So if you have your Bibles, once again, open those up, turn those on. If you don't have your Bible with you, don't worry, we got you covered. We'll have the verses on the screen for you. But let's just spend some time praying together before we get started. That sound good? God, thank you so much that we can sing that we are no longer slaves because we are children of God. And Lord, I just come before you tonight just just asking God that you would show up as our Father and do a good work in every single one of our lives. That you would help to open our eyes to see the wondrous things out of your law. That you would allow us, Father, to be able to know you intimately, to, to see areas of our life where we need to change. And in spirit, would you give us the ability to take the steps in our lives to make that change? And my prayer, God, is that all the distractions that so many of us bring into this room from school and relationships and parents and life and messiness and hurt and pain and everything else, Lord, that can cause us to be distracted, my prayer, God, is that those distractions would be nowhere present tonight. That our eyes would be focused, that our hearts would be attuned to hear from you, and that every single one of us would walk out of this place with a deeper love for God and a deeper desire to look more like your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So one of the most shameful moments of my life happened recently. It took place back in November on a Saturday when me and my oldest son, who's six, Ezra, decided to go to the movies together. And one thing about me is I love going to the movies. I love movies. It's something that I enjoy um, doing a lot. And Ezra does too. So this is a great way for us to have some son-father time as we get together we go to the movies. It's become kind of our go-to activity. In fact, we went to the movies just this past weekend. And so back in November when we went, he really wanted to see the movie Clifford the Big Rag Dog, which I'm sure none of you have seen. Uh, if you have, I'm going to survive a conversation. But it is horrible. I mean, zero out of 10. Like, he didn't even like it. And he's six. And he loves everything. 
horrible movie. So anyway, so we go there, and if you haven't been to the movies since COVID, they have this new rule that whenever you go to the movies, you have to reserve your seat before you sit down. So you have to choose where you're going to sit. So we get to the movies pretty early that day. And so there's a lot of availability. So I choose what I feel like are pretty good seats. And so we get some popcorn and we get our drink and we go and we sit down in these seats. But within a few minutes, I see that Ezra is not a big fan of what I picked. Because as we're sitting there, he's like, hey, dad, can we move to those two seats over there? And there are these two isolated seats that were right in front of us. And the reason that they were isolated is because they were in the handicap section. So you had one seat, two feet seats, but there's space on both sides. And so Ezra thought, oh, that'd be cool for us to sit there. Now, as a good moviegoer, what I should have said was, you know what, son? Actually, these are the seats that we chose. So this is where we're going to sit because this is where we said we would sit. But instead, I'm like, sure, boy, why not? So we just go and we sit over there because in my mindset, there's not a lot of people in the movies yet. So what's the worst that can happen? So we go and we sit in these seats and as we're sitting there, all of a sudden, all these people just start like showing up to this movie theater and it starts getting like more and more crowded. So I'm getting a little anxious that maybe we're sitting in somebody else's seat. And so I do what any paranoid person does. I go to Fandango to see where the empty seats are that are still left in this theater. And so I see that the seats that we're in are still open. No one has reserved them yet. So I feel okay, put my phone away and we keep kind of watching the pre-previews, whatever you call those. And so as the preview starts, more and more people are still coming into this theater. And so I get, I'm starting to get a little bit anxious, but I, you know, just that might continue just to sit there, just again, hoping that this is going to be okay. So as the previews are starting at this point, the movie maybe have even started. And as we're sitting there, I look over towards the entrance and I see this mom walk in with her son. He's about Ezra's age, maybe a couple years older. And I see that he has a disability. And in that moment, it was one of those, those times where you just know, like you just get like this intuition. I knew that in that moment, I was sitting in these people's seats. Like I just knew it. Like it just was like instantly, I was like, oh man, I know what I'm doing. And so again, I pull out my phone to check the seat reservations. And this time I see that the two seats that we're in have been reserved. So that, with the fact that the mom ends up going over and sitting in one of the seats that we're supposed to be in, just confirms that we had stolen this mom and her boy seats. And in that moment, I was filled with so much shame and so much regret. I'm going to be straight with you guys. The thoughts that entered my mind as I was battling to try to salvage this moment, I'm not proud of. I'm not proud of this. In fact, I have debated all week if I should even tell y'all what, what I thought. But I believe this is the safe place, right? I believe that this is a safe place and that you guys are going to show me grace when I tell you how bad of a person I am. Because as I'm sitting there just trying to figure out how I can walk this back or cover what I've done, this thought enters my mind that maybe I can get people to believe that I should be sitting here if I get up and start walking with a limp. Guys, I'm a horrible person. Like, that is horrible. I am a horrible human being. Let's just all, judgmental, it's fine. It's good shame. Just bring it coming, right? Exactly. You can boo me. You can boo me. But seriously, that's what I thought. Man, and I was like, and so praise God. Praise God that the Holy Spirit slapped some sense into me in that moment. Praise God. Because so he walked me back from that ledge, and, and I did not do that. 
but I also knew I couldn't stay in these seats. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't feel good watching this movie sitting in these seats. So I tell Ezra, I'm like, hey, boy, we got to go. So I, I, I move him a couple rows in another spot, and we sit down, and we watch the rest of this awful movie from those seats. You know, looking back, I know why at first I did what I did. Because in that moment, it didn't seem like a big deal to me. Like sitting in the seats that we had reserved were pointless or at the very least unimportant. Like it didn't matter if we just got up and went somewhere else. But see, what I failed to do in that moment was to realize that the seat reserving rule wasn't just for me. It was also for other people. And so on that afternoon, instead of just only thinking about myself, I should have thought about other people too. I should have chosen to leave those seats open. I should have chosen to love others by my actions. And see, where we're going to start off in 1 John chapter 5 is bringing up back this theme that we've already been talking about, the importance of loving one another. Because if you were with us two weeks ago, that's where we left our time with this idea and this understanding back in chapter three, that as God's people, we're called to love each other, that we're called to live in this relationship where we're loving other people and we're doing, we're willing to inconvenience ourselves for them. And so what's interesting is that even though John writes this paragraphs later, it's almost like he's picking up exactly where we left off a few weeks ago, talking about how as believers, as those who belong to the kingdom, we need to think about other people and we need to love them well. Because look at what John says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And here's where it is. In the second part is what we're talking about in regards to where we pick up. Because he says, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of God. So John starts off this section by saying that anybody who believes that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, this person has been born of God or born again or is a follower of Jesus. They're a Christian. That's what John's saying. And if you remember from a while ago, this is important that John says this because there are several people in this church who are trying to spread this lie that Jesus isn't the Messiah. And so John wants these, this church to know that like, if you truly believe in Jesus, you're going to believe that he is the Christ. That is something that you're going to hold on to. But then next he says that if you love God, you also should love other people. Which again is exactly what we saw back in chapter 3 a couple weeks ago. As we talked about, as followers of Jesus, we were called to love those who belong to Jesus, especially with our actions. Because if you remember, as Christians, love is more action than emotion. Love is more action than emotion. And so John here is telling these people how they can know that they've been born of God, how they can know that they have eternal life. He says, first, you need to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And secondly, you need to love other believers. And then in verse two, John tells us how we can love other believers. Because look what it says. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So John tells us here two ways that we're called to love others. He says, first, you need to love God. And secondly, you need to obey God's commandments. 
which is great. Like we get that, like we understand the importance of doing that, but let's be real. This is kind of confusing because John is talking about loving other people. So the action should be focused on people, but instead these two actions are focused on God. But if we understand what loving God and obeying his commandments calls us to do, then this makes a lot more sense in the context of loving one another. Because if you truly love God the way the Bible talks about, with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your strength, what naturally comes from that is your love isn't just going to stop there. It's going to overflow into other people that you know. When you truly walk in this relationship with God where you're loving him the right way, then you're going to see other people, and you're going to treat them as being more important than you. You're going to choose to put their interest above your own interest because what's going to happen? You are going to start loving others the same way that God has chosen to love you. You're going to love others in a way that reflects Jesus. And so when we love God, naturally, we also are going to love other people. You see, when it comes to the the commandments of God, if you think about it, a lot of the commandments of God are set up to not just benefit us, but also to benefit other people. Just like reserving seats at a movie theater. Because when I don't lie and I don't steal and I don't kill and I don't covet, then everybody who knows me wins, right? Everybody is benefiting from that. And so this is what John is telling us. John is saying that if you love God and if you keep his commandments, then naturally you will love other people by your actions. You will naturally love them the way that God has called you to do that. But here's what's interesting as John has been talking for the first two verses about loving other people, in verse three, he kind of takes a shift. And he still talks about love, but this time he talks about the love of God. Because look what it says in verse three. He says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So this is really important here, what John says. Because he says, when it comes to loving God and it comes to keeping his commandments, this is how we demonstrate the love of God in our lives. And so there's two things here that John is kind of bringing together. What he's saying is if you want to love other people and if you want to show that you love God, you do the same thing. You obey or you keep his commandments. You choose to follow him. You choose to listen to him. You choose to base your life on what his word says. And so once again, we see even loving God is an action when it comes to how we live our lives on a daily basis. So for John, this is what this means. It means obedience and love are roommates. Obedience and love complement one another. And so when we live our lives in a way that we love God, it should be seen in our actions. It should be seen in what we do. And then John continues to tell us that we should be eager and willing to do this Because God's commands aren't burdensome. They're not heavy. They're not difficult for us to live out. And here's where I want to press pause. Because everything that we talked about so far, I think you guys would agree with, right? Once we kind of understand what John's talking about, we would agree, yep, John, that's right. I get that. I understand that. Until we get to the second part of this verse. Because if we're honest we do see God's commands as burdensome. At least deep down, right? To us, the commandments of God are heavy. We know that they're set up to protect us, 
And we understand that we should believe that and we should live our lives in light of that. But in reality, so much of our lives, we see God's commandments as restricting, as keeping us from being able to live our lives the way that we want to. And so, yeah, we get loving God. We, we understand that part. Like that makes sense to us. We want that. We desire that. But when it comes to obeying God, man, that is so much more difficult. And here's why. Because when it comes to a lot of the commands that we see and God asks us to do, if we're like real with ourselves, we really see a lot of them as pointless or at the very least unimportant. And we get some of them are a big deal. Like we get like, do not murder. Yes, we get that, God. Like that makes sense. We've seen enough crime shows. We watched enough Netflix documentaries. Like we get that. We know that's a big deal. But how about do not complain? Or do not bear false witness? Or do not think lustful thoughts about somebody else? Like, we kind of get that, like, in a way, like, that kind of makes sense to us, but not really that deep. It's not really that deep inside of us, because if it was, then we would stop doing them. But oftentimes, not only do we do it, but we don't even feel bad about it. Because if we're honest, we don't really see it as being that big of a deal. We don't really see it as being something that's really that important because so much of our lives, we see keeping the commandments of God the same way that we see keeping the rules at a movie theater where it's not a big deal unless we get exposed. And then, like I did, we feel shame. Then, like I did, we feel regret. But if we're not exposed or nobody notices or something just kind of goes on without anybody making a comment about it, then so often in our lives, it doesn't really bother us. So when it comes to loving God, man, we get that. When it comes to obeying him, that's a different conversation. Because this is what, this is how all this connects to this idea of obeying God is what this shows us is that we see obedience as an obligation, don't we? See, unlike John, we don't look at obedience and love as roommates, but rivals. We don't see obedience and love as complementing one another, but as competing against one another, right? So we get the idea that we can love God and pursue him, but we don't really see how that oftentimes connects in what we do for him. We wanna separate the two. Because even for us in our lives, when we find ourselves following after God and doing the things that we want him to do, we don't enjoy it. We just do it because he knows he wants us to. We, know, we do it because we think that we have to. And see, for so many of us in this room, this is why you struggle in your relationship with God. Because you want to pursue his presence. You want to be intimate with him. You want to enjoy the fact that you're a God, that he's a God that loves you and he died for you and you should. But when it comes to obeying him, when it comes to listening to him, when it comes to living your life in a way that reflects his word, man, you struggle with that because you see the commands of God as being burdensome. Because to you, either it's legalistic or it's unrealistic or it's unimportant. You don't see how it connects to you loving God. And to you, it's heavy. You don't see God's commands as something that gives you life. You think it holds you back from life, from the good life that God is calling you to live. And so you walk into this place loving God and wanting to pursue him, 
but oftentimes you struggle to follow his words. And I want you to know, if that's you tonight, this is a safe place to confess that. This is a safe place to admit, yeah, I don't see God's word. I don't see his commands as something that are good or enjoyable or fun. Instead, I see them as being very heavy and very burdensome. And I'm walking around tired and upset with myself because I don't find joy in my relationship with Jesus. And that's you here tonight. You're in a safe place. Because this is where so often the times we do find ourselves. Man, we get loving Jesus, but when it comes to following him, that's hard. That's difficult. And there's a reason that following Jesus is so hard in our lives. It's because we often find ourselves believing once again a lie from the enemy. This lie that he was speaking back in the Garden of Eden thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. Because there's this belief that following Jesus is more frustrating than fun. That's what so often we find ourselves believing is this lie that following Jesus is more frustrating than fun. Because think about what was going on in the garden. When Satan tempted Eve with the fruit, he tried to get her to think that there was something else out there that was better, that God was withholding something from her, that there was something that God wasn't giving her. And that's what we find ourselves believing too. Whether it's fruit from a forbidden tree or a relationship that we have with somebody that we just want more out of or it's some, some night with our friends that we feel like would be fun but we can't do it. Whatever it might be, there are things happening in our lives that we feel like are restricting us from experiencing the joy and the goodness and the good life that we feel like that we want. And it's because we see God's commands as burdensome because we don't find joy in them. So when we do them, we do them out of obligation. When we do them, we don't enjoy them because we think following Jesus is more frustrating than fun. And see, if that's you tonight, there's good news. There's good news for you. Because as we continue to read, John helps to show us that we can live our lives in a way where we follow God's commands and we love him through that and we enjoy it and it benefits us and we love it just like we love God. Because as John continues to write in the last verse that we're gonna look at, he tells us another attribute that we should have as those who belong to God. Because look what it says in verse four. He says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And so John here gives us one more characteristic of somebody who's been born again, who's the child of God. And he says that we've overcome the world, right? That's exciting. That's, that's cool. That's awesome. But like, what does it mean? Like we, we hear that, but like, what does that mean? But for us to understand what it means, we first under, have to understand what the world is. That's a phrase, especially if you grew up in church, that's thrown around a lot, that's used a lot, but very, very rarely defined. You see, John loves this word. John uses this word, this world, this word, world, there we go, more than half of the time in the New Testament's from John. And it's the Greek word cosmos. And it has different meanings. But I love how John Piper defines it in our passage. He says, the world is anything that makes the commandments of God burdensome. The world is anything in your life 
that makes the commandments of God burdensome, that makes them heavy, that makes them unappealing, that makes them something that you don't want anything a part of. That is the world in your life. And so what that means is it can look different for all of us. It could be for you this expectation of intimacy in our culture that we feel like that we need to have in our dating relationships that causes us to think that the command of God to flee sexual immorality is just restricting and is keeping us from having the closeness that we really want with somebody else. Or for you, what this might look like is this pressure from our peers that are just trying to get us to escape the stress of school and life. That causes us to think that the command of God to not get drunk is so insignificant that it's not even worth following. Or maybe for you, it's this voice that you keep hearing that tells you that you need to get back at somebody who's deeply hurt you, that calls you to think that the command in scripture to love your enemy is honestly a bit insulting because it totally downplays all the horrible things that person did to you. And anything in your life that causes you to think that God's commands are burdensome, anything that makes you frustrated at them or apathetic towards them or annoyed at them is the world's influence in your life. And because our enemy is so crafty, he can get us to believe this voice without even questioning it and not realize that it impacts how we act it impacts how we think, and most importantly, it impacts how we love God. But John tells us here that we have hope because he tells us that this grip that the world has in our life doesn't have to be there because as those who belong to God, we have overcome the world. As those who belong to God, we have victory over the lies of this world. We have victory over the deceptions that we so often find ourselves believing. And John tells us what that victory is, is our faith. It's our faith in Jesus. And see, here's why I think our faith is so important when it comes to overcoming the world. It's because our faith allows us to see the commandments of God for what they really are. Not as something that is meant to frustrate us, but something that our loving father gives to us because he wants us to flourish. Because he wants us to enjoy life. Because he wants us to see things from the best possible perspective and to live our lives in light of the beauty and the grace and the goodness of everything that he's called us to have. They're meant for us to live life to the fullest. Once again, just like reserving seats at a movie theater does. Because think about this. There's a reason that only certain people should be sitting in the handicapped section at the movie theater. Because for that little boy that day, if he was able to sit in that seat, he would have been able to flourish. Because he would have been able to experience that movie from the best possible way because he was made to sit there and to enjoy it and to see it in a position that was made for somebody who was where he was. That was the purpose of the seat so that people who come can flourish even if they're not able to sit in the seat. But the problem was I took that away from him. 
And see, what the rules of God or the commands of God do are meant to do the same thing. They're meant to put you in a position to experience life in the best possible way. They're meant to put you in a position so that you can flourish and enjoy everything that God has put in front of you. But the world wants to take that away from you. The world wants to say, no, no, look over here. No, no, sit over here. No, live your life from this perspective because if you do, then you'll have what you long for. But the expectations are high and the results are so low. And your heavenly father says, no, 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 I've designed you and I've designed my life and this life with you so that you can sit at the best possible place to see the world for what it is and then to flourish because of that. And our faith in Jesus opens up our eyes to see that. Our faith in Jesus exposes the lies of the world for what they are when they cause us to doubt God's goodness. And our faith in Jesus reminds us that our Heavenly Father wants us to flourish. Jesus came so we could have life and have it abundantly. Jesus wants you to walk in freedom. He wants you to walk in victory. He wants you to walk with a life that doesn't have burdens. And he tells us this in Matthew 11. Because look what he says. And there's, I mean, easily, easily John could have been thinking about this moment with Jesus as he was writing this word, these words to this church. Because look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. He says, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Why? Why is this true? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Contrary to what the world wants us to believe, following Jesus isn't burdensome. It's not joy killing. Instead, it's supposed to give us rest. It's not frustrating, it's freeing. And the reason that Jesus' yoke is easy and the reason that his burden is light is because he did everything possible so that it could be. See, so often when we think about obeying God's commands, what we envision in our mind is that we need to be people who obey God's law perfectly. Or we need to be people who follow God faithfully all the time. That we don't need to ever do anything wrong because if we do, then we'll end up on God's bad side. And so we feel like every time we're living our lives in light of God's commandments, we have to do it right and do it perfect and always, always, always do it to a way that is righteous, right, or perfect. And so what happens is we find ourselves living this faith that is exhausting. If we always have to do something right all the time, and if we don't, God no longer likes us, that is a burden. That is exhausting. That will wear you out. But the beauty of the cross and the beauty of the easy yoke and the beauty of the light burden that Jesus offers is that he obeyed God perfectly. So that pressure isn't on you anymore. Jesus was always faithful to his father. So when you're not, you don't have to live in shame. Instead, you can confess, repent, and be forgiven. And the reason that our faith can overcome the world is because Jesus has already overcome the grave. And because he did that now, you can obey God, not out of fear, but out of love. Man, huge difference, huge difference. Because so many of us who felt the commandments of God are burdensome is because we obey God out of fear. Because we're afraid if we don't listen to God, 
then something bad is going to happen to us or he'll take something good away from us. So we're constantly living in this tension and feeling like we have to do everything right because if we don't, then we're going to have stuff taken away or God's going to stick out his hand and say, no, no, you can't have that. But man, that's not what the gospel says. What the gospel tells us is that Jesus obeyed God perfectly. So now we can obey God freely. And as we sung about, because we're children of God, we are no longer slaves to fear. We don't have to fear rejection. We don't have to fear condemnation. We don't have to fear that if we mess up, God is going to love us less because you are already fully known and fully loved by your father. And so what that means for you is that you can now live your life obeying God, not as an obligation, but as this amazing opportunity to experience life from the perspective that God is calling you to live, to experience life in a way that you will flourish and have joy and experience the goodness of the love of God as you obey him and you keep his commandments. And that's the beauty of the cross. The commands that God gives us are never pointless. The commands that God gives us are never unimportant. God loves you too much to make you do commands that don't matter. Instead, the reason that he gives these to us, the reason that he calls us to follow him and walk in him and do life with him, following after his law, after his word, is because that is what brings freedom. And God's word brings freedom from lies. It brings freedom from shame. It brings freedom from wasted time. It brings freedom from false hope. It brings freedom from a world that will promise a lot and give little. It gives us freedom from looking back decades from now and think that we wasted it or we blew it. It gives us freedom to live a life in our relationship with God where we can be fully known and fully loved. And by faith, we believe that. And by faith, we walk in that. And by faith in Jesus, we've overcome this world so that we can choose to see our God and his commandments for what they really are. Because this is what this passage helps us to see and helps us to realize. Is that contrary to the lie that tells us that following Jesus is more frustrating than fun, what we see in God's word is that true faith brings freedom, not frustration. That true faith brings freedom and not frustration. Ben, you guys can come on up. And I'm going to end you guys with this challenge tonight. The challenge is to look at your life and ask yourself, what commandments of God do I see as burdensome? What are the things that God is asking you to do that honestly you just don't enjoy doing? Because they seem so much more like an obligation than an opportunity. Maybe it's some of the stuff that we talked about. Maybe it's something else. Maybe for you it's praying. You're like, man, I just don't get it. I just don't want to do it. I'm not good at it. I don't like praying. And so the thought of doing it just makes you not want to do it. Maybe for you it's spending time in his word. Maybe for you it's something else that God is just showing you in your heart right now that when you think about following God, it causes you not to want to do it because you just see it as heavy. And then from there, my challenge for you is then to ask the Holy Spirit to allow you to believe the truth as opposed to the lie. The truth that God is for you. His freedom is good. His flourishing is what he has called us to and wants us to experience in our lives. This flourishing where we grow in our love and our relationship with him. 
So what is it tonight that's causing you to think that God's commands are burdensome? And go before the Lord on that. Ask him to change your heart. Ask him to show you what it means to live a life that pursues him and loves him the way that he's called you to. Where you have freedom instead of frustration. Let's pray. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for just this reminder that your commandments are not burdensome. I mean, God, so much in our lives, we see them that way. We don't want to do them. We don't want to follow them because we don't find joy in them because we don't see the goodness of them or we see them as being pointless, Father. And so help us just to remember the reason that we follow your commands aren't to stay on your good side. It's because you are good and you are already on our side. And you want us to experience life in the best possible way. A life where we have hope in the midst of our trials, a light, a life where we have joy in the midst of our suffering, and a life where we have your presence, even in the worst moments of our lives. So may we walk in that, Lord. May you give us freedom to live it. And may we remember that our faith allows us to have victory over this world because of the cross. And we pray all this in the great name of Jesus.